Hi, welcome to the Get Active podcast. I'm Joel Hudson and we'll be your host as we talk all things fitness and outdoors. Welcome to the Get Active podcast. Today we have Dr. Joe in the house. Alrighty, uh, James is a local Cairo, my family's Cairo, my athlete's Cairo, a long distance triathlete and most of all a family man. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Mate, uh, not originally from Newcastle, tell us where you grew up. I grew up out in Castle Hill, so out Western Sydney, um, and to be honest, couldn't wait to get out of the place. I did my high school there, did my university down at Macquarie, finished there at the end of 05, and I never even looked for a job in Sydney. It's a bit of a rat race, and um, there, ended up in Newcastle January 06, been here ever since. It's it's certainly home now, man. We got. I've even convinced my California wife to consider Newey home. Uh, two kids, our roots don't get much deeper. Absolutely. Now a Novocastrian, also a businessman here in Newey. Uh, tell us about Transitions Chiropractic. So we, so my wife and I set this up in 2013. We started up down in Derby Street. We're down there for about three years. We've been up in King Street now for about three and a half. Um, it's what we do, it's what we love to do. Part of the reason being is because we get to help our community ideally do something different we always sit there and talk about how we want our community to live life without limits but ideally that means living without pain living their best version of themselves and that's ideally what we kind of do at transitions you know i think there's some weird stories about chiropractic and all just being these bone crackers and this and that but we often miss the picture you know um we're missing the fact, yeah, sure, the body's got a bony organisation with your vertebrae and your discs, but then they've got this active stuff as well, these muscles and ligaments that are most important. And then on top of all that, you've got your nervous system. If there's one thing I care about as a chiropractor is making sure that your nervous system is working as well as possible. If you'll notice ourselves that we're not necessarily just taking a whole bunch of x-rays. It's not too much based on what the structure is. I care much more about how you're functioning and that's something that's something that we really try and do here at Transitions. How are you functioning? How can we help you function to the best level possible? Absolutely, mate. So living life without limit uh, is something that my family also try to, to go around. Now, we see lots of families getting adjusted in the office. Why is it important for the kids to also be adjusted and checked? There's that old saying that goes back, you know, uh, give me a child until he's seven and I'll give you a man. Um, I think it's a lot, a lot of that's to do with the neuronal density and how primed kids are to learning at such a young age. You know, my oldest is five now, so at five years of age, he's probably not going to be a professional ballet dancer or gymnast because he's already too late. Um, but up until those first couple of years, kids are primed for learning new things. Um, and this is exactly the same for their little bodies as well. They're, they are under a lot of stress and strain, whether or not it was from the birthing process or that transition, excuse the pun, through those first couple of years of life. Their bodies are constantly under stress and strain, physical, chemical, emotional as well. And we want to ideally help them change to the way that helps them flourish throughout the remainder of their years. Um, because they're so primed learning new things, kids don't come with that same scar tissue, those same chronic old bad habits that we get you know, at 
the ripe old age of 38 and 40, and we've got a few scar tissues behind us, but it takes us a long bit of change these days. So adjusting kids is great because it, it allows them to get a change real, real quick and quite easily too. Um, if we're talking about adjusting kids, I think it goes back again to that theory of, oh, but chiropractors are bone crackers. My kids don't need their bones cracked. And you're right, they probably don't. But they do need their nervous system checked and analysed. And sometimes as light a touch is required, almost eyeball pressure is enough to get a change from a little kid's nervous system. And um, there was a big uh, hoo-ha last year about chiropractic and kids, and this was 2019. And... The government basically asked us to stop adjusting all kids or use modified adjustments on all kids for a period of about eight months while they did a major investigation. Uh, this was particularly down in Victoria. The end result of that was they said, look, chiropractic's safe for kids. They could find no evidence of chiropractic being harmful for kids. And that's particularly when you're talking about these modified lower force techniques. This is the beauty of adjusting kids. They have an adaptation, an adaptation to learn that we just don't have when we get a bit more older and cranky behind the edges. So yeah, I, I love adjusting kids and <clears throat> I don't know, we sort of sit there and say live life without limits. I got this other personal thing which is, you know, help every generation live better than the last and I want my kids to have opportunities that I didn't have growing up and I think that even starts Hell, when I was 16 years old, I went through the windscreen of a car, landed on my head at 120 k's an hour. I didn't find out about chiropractic for another three years, you know. Um, I want to make sure these kids have that opportunity to live their life as well as possible without the baggages that early trauma can have. One of the things you guys uh, do in the community, you have lots of things each month. Uh, this month, my kids have picked up uh, a thousand hours for... Uh, 2020. Now we're off to a flying start. We're up to three. Yep. Now, so, yep. Um, so that's the the three that they've forgot that they've remembered to sort of mark down. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that and some of the things that you do in the community. So this month, something that popped up on my Facebook feed a couple of weeks ago was literally this: 1,000 hours outside. Now the guys that put this together is 1,000hoursoutside.com. This has been their brainchild for years. Um, and they've wrapped it up into a 2020 challenge. Can you spend a thousand hours outside over the year? So we're promoting it because to be honest, it's a pretty legit investment in time. Like it's almost 20 hours a week. But um, I think our kids and our kids' future is almost dependent on this outdoors time because the one, like we sit there and say that's a pretty legit investment of time. But if you said, okay, would your kids get 20 hours of, technology time a week whether or not that's computers iPads TVs that's going to be pretty close and I think we need to reverse the scales because if you go back to one of the reasons why kids need to get adjusted is because their their bodies are under stress and there's a lot of overstimulation that comes with computers screens technology all this stuff being outside you get to slow that down you get them to, to move the way nature intended to um, even, you know, you, you go in, into Glenrock yourself or go down to Nobbies or something like that, put your toes in the sand, put your hands in the water and just feel the dirt between your toes again. That's this magic process called earthing and it helps your body, even, even your brain waves start to regulate 
back to that level. So with a, a challenge of a thousand hours outside, we're going to do it. I don't know if we'll do it within the 12 months. Fingers crossed we do. But I think it's a really cool little challenge to help them get off the technology for one, but to reset, to spend their time. Again, with technology, it's very easy to spend one-on-one, on, one on one, just you and the computer. Outside, they're going to be interacting with us, their parents, their adults, their friends. There's that communication that's often missing these days. And um, there's that communication again with nature and actually experiencing this amazing place that we have here. There's a million places to go out and explore here in Newcastle, that's Isn't for sure. Now, what other services uh, do you guys offer here at Transitions? So we've been predominantly chiropractic for this entire time. Uh, we've been lucky enough to have Michelle Brace for Embracing Natural Therapies here as well. And she's got an offsider as well. So we've got chiropractic here uh, five and a half days a week and we've got the massage here at the moment uh, four days a week. Right. Let's get outside the office now. Now, growing up, you played baseball. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, say what team you played for because, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> Toronto Tigers. But uh, now you do some crazy endurance feats. The, the Ironman triathlon is an amazing accomplishment. 3.8k swim, 180k on the bike, 42k run. Now, what got you started with that? <laughs> you, mate. Um, <laughs> this muppet that's interviewing me put me into my first ever triathlon. Um, at one stage, I'd never even known a bike. And I remember talking to Joel and he said, well, what's stopping you? And I had the usual arm list of excuses, but none of them were really good enough. So uh, I think about two weeks later, I went and bought my first bike, figured out how to ride. At the time, I was also working with another chiropractor, Rick Nablin. He'd done a couple of Ironmans. And um, again, this is before Joel's change himself from tries to weights and all the above. But yeah, Joel, you got me into triathlon, mate. And it's a, it's a good sport. Uh, how many Ironmans have you done now? Done 11 Ironman. Um, they come with a lot of bumps in the road. That's 11 that I've finished um, off start of 13. Um, and look, I've really, really enjoyed the long distance stuff. Um, I, I never thought I would. Like all the conversations, like I've been doing it now for 11 years. First race was the start of 08 and that was literally a sprint down at Newcastle Foreshore. Um, I lost my shoe in transition, I did everything like that. My first Olympic distance race, which was May that same year, so May 2009, I had to get rescued out of the swim. Uh, it was a 1500 meter swim, which I was probably lucky enough to get through 500 meters before sticking up my hand and yeah, throwing up on the beach. Um, and that was my introduction to triathlon, but I I wanted to get through it. And that was always the challenge of something, even like the half Ironman and into an Ironman. It was, I didn't really care too much about could I break speed records, but it was um, what's the challenge? What's the adventure? How far could I go? And the idea of an Ironman for me in particular, the, the challenge of the landscape and the distance of that race itself, that that really excited me. And that's why I haven't just gone up to Port Macquarie and race there every year, for example. I've tried to travel a fair bit with the races and do some really out there and different ones, and it's been, it's been fun. Mate, so 11 Ironmans, crazy. 
3.8k swim. What's going through your mind going through the swim? I look at the swimmers. I'm looking forward to when this is over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, first thing for me in the swimmers, don't drown. Um, and I get a little bit of a dory mentality. Just, just keep going. Just keep going. It's certainly not my forte. Um, and yeah, look, I'm just I'm honestly just more more happy to be done with the swim than actually enjoying the process a hell of a lot. I love swimming. It's just. I look at it in a, in a race as almost the warm-up for what's coming next. Yeah. 180Ks on the bike next. Now, there's lots of ups and downs in 180Ks. Yeah. Uh, not just on the road, inside the head. What goes through your head on the bike? One of the big things for endurance sport for me, and it's actually combining baseball and endurance sport, was I always try to chunk it down. I always try to break, break the race down and... The first time I looked at an Ironman on paper, I couldn't understand how I was going to do the whole thing. So I sort of broke it down into nine innings. Um, my first Ironman course was Taupo, New Zealand, and it was an out-and-back swim. So I thought, okay, well, the first innings is going out, and the second innings is coming back. And the bike was a couple of loop course, and again, so that just became a couple of innings for each way. So I turned 180Ks into probably... Four, I think it was yeah, four forty-five k innings. So what was going through my head was just just try and get through, just try and get through each inning. And once that was done, you move on to the next. Um, I've never been one to really listen to much music when I'm running and riding. I try and it sounds corny, but be in the moment. Um, how's the heart rate feel? How do the legs feel? And go off that because I find if I if you get too caught up in what your computer's telling you or what the other races are telling you, you start racing at their game. And as you said, there's lots of up and downs in the race and old mate's power might be a lot better than yours at that moment. Um, or your heart rate might be down and you might need to take it a little bit easier at that time, knowing you can come back later on if you actually listen to your body a little bit more. Yeah, you got to save that little bit for that 42k run to finish, mate. Marathon yeah. to finish. Uh, again, what's going through your mind? Do you just play it that one innings at a time again, just tick it over? Definitely. It's definitely a one innings game. Um, to be honest, it's almost like, okay, you get off the bike, you can't drown anymore, you can't fall off your bike anymore, you've just got to go left foot, right foot, and the body will follow you to hit that finish line. So there's a big sense of relief, I feel like, when you even get to the start of the run. Um and even if you've got to walk it, you can. You know you can still get to the end. You know you can walk. So yeah, absolutely. Fun. All right, mate. You've um, so you've done Ironman. For those listening that think that sounds absolutely crazy, uh, that wasn't enough for you. You did the Ultraman. Have you done it twice? What? No, I did Ultraman twenty eighteen. Then this year I went across and did the couple of stupid ones back to back. That's right. So let's talk about the. Uh, the crazy Iron Man, the Ultraman. What's that entail? Yeah, so the 226Ks isn't far enough. So Ultraman's a three-day event. I'm really glad it's three days, not straight back to back. But day one, it's so it's 515Ks in total. Day one's a 10K swim and 145K bike ride. Day two was a 285K bike ride. And then day three is a double marathon. 
Um, thankfully, the Australian version of this is based up around Noosa. So you've got some pretty good scenery around there. But yeah, that's, that's Ultraman. It's, it's, it's a beast. 10k swim, mate. You get rescued in a, a 1500 metre swim in the harbour and uh, 10k swim. That's a pretty big achievement. What yeah. sort of time does it take you to swim 10k? A little bit over three hours. Wow. So um, I, I want to, I, I think the official statement that year was the swim course might have been um, maybe 500 metres to 1000 metres short. Um, they apologised that after the race, but I think it was. About three hours and eight, three hours and ten minutes, give or take, for the for the swim. Um, and yeah, you talk about being rescued. That swim still scared the hell out of me to the point that, in an absolutely stupid error, I still changed my wetsuit the day before. I went from doing all my practice swims in a long sleeve wetsuit, and then the day before the race, haven't not swum in a short sleeve wetsuit like sleeveless for couple of years I thought no I'm gonna overheat it's Noosa so I better go sleepless and that was just stupid so um and I had the chafe marks for a couple of weeks after that to prove it yeah you can't go changing things uh not that close anyway what about um so three hours in the water or three hours plus in the water food drinks what happens there you set yourself up for a a three-day event and the first three hours you're in the water How, how do you get the fluids in and so one of the hardest things about uh, Ultraman is you need a crew. I was lucky to have some really cool people from the tri club and from the local running clubs come and help me out. And you actually have to have your own um, either ski or board paddler with you. So I had Chris that was helping me out. He was just on a um, surf life saving paddle board. So he was on his belly paddling away. He had a bottle of uh, water for me, another bottle of uh, like electrolyte and then a couple of gels for me as well. So. I think what we did from memory was we probably only had maybe two gels um, throughout the swim. Um, but yeah, every, say, 40 minutes, he'd sort of tap me, get me to roll over. I'd take a swig of the fluid and just keep on going. Again, I'm not a quick swimmer. But most of the guys were a long way ahead of me. And so it was just get through this swim. And it was really nice to have Chris there because I think if I was out there for that long, by myself, um, I probably would have found the nearest shoreline and gone and perched on top of a rock. <laughs> what about training for a, a 10k swim? What, what sort of distance were you covering in your training? At that time, because obviously this is all balancing around a career and young kids, I could only really swim twice a week, but I'd have two days a week where I'd swim, but I'd try to swim twice on those days, so I might try and do a 5k set in the morning and then maybe 2k's at lunchtime. So I never, I'd done one 10k swim probably six months before the race and that took me almost three hours and 40. Um, that was the only time I'd ever actually done a proper 10k swim. Um, and yeah, I, used, I probably had about five or six, say five to six k open water swims with Chris um, off Stockton Beach um, and that was that was about as big as the practice got. Yeah. Bike ride, what was it? Two... 145 on day one, yeah. 285 on day two. Wow. So 145 on day one after the swim would have felt nice to get on the bike, but what about day two getting back on the bike? Man, honestly, that was 
the bike was a lot of fun. Um, the first 145, day one, I probably went out way too hard because, um, you know, I'd rested for a little bit leading up to it and it just it felt light and easy. Um, but that was a lot of fun on the bike, day one. I thought I recovered well. Day two, one of the hardest things about day two um, was, I, one, I'd never ridden that distance, I'd never ridden 285Ks. But day two, um, I got a flat fairly early, which left me on the side of the road trying to change it. And thankfully I was able to get help from another crew to help us out changing that flat. But day two went through a town called Kenilworth. Kenilworth is in the Sunshine Coast hinterland. But two years prior, I went up there for an adventure race. And it was one of those races that all went wrong. I crashed my mountain bike about 15 hours into this race. Ended up in Nambour Hospital and had to call my wife, Marissa, from a hospital bed, you know, when she had a three-month-old at home saying, babe, I um, just screwed up. I'm in the hospital, I had my face half ripped off. So going into Kenilworth, was coming up the Kenilworth mountain range and, man, I slowed down. I didn't realise how emotional that town was for me and I just... It was just, oh shit, I'm going back here, I'm going back here. And then dropping into Kenilworth, as soon as I turned left and went out of that town, I had 80Ks to go to the finish line, but my race was over. I was like, yes, I've got through. It was like someone just shed a cloak and I couldn't believe. So you talk about highs and lows in racing. That was a massive high and low and it was nothing physical. It was completely in my freaking head. And... I've, I've, one of the reasons I'm really glad I went and did Ultraman again is because I've now left Kenilworth and I've left the accident and I left that stuff behind, but I had to ride through that town to actually do so. Yeah. Um, and then the final part of that day, the last 40Ks, you basically ride from Maroochydore back up to Noosa, which the next day, the double marathon, that's what you do twice. You basically run from Noosa to Maroochydore and back up. So it was interesting to see that course on the bike and then knowing, oh crap, I'm doing this twice tomorrow. So the run, double marathon. So not many people can say they've uh, had a crack at a marathon and then you have a double marathon on day three. What were the legs feeling like? What, what did you feel like? I'd felt okay. Um, nutrition was super important. Basically, keep eating as much as you can, which was absolutely fine by me. Um, the, the run starts super, super early. You start running off in the dark. Um, and just want to point out, one of the big differences between something like the Ultraman and an Ironman is this is very much a supported race. For that entire 400-odd Ks on the bike, you've got a support car that's driving around, giving you food, giving you bottles. On the run, you're allowed a support runner, as in one of your crewmates, to run with you basically from the 10k mark all the way to the end of the race and that that in itself is just a really cool feeling i had five different crew help me out for that run um and that really lifted it and carried you through but just there's something psychological again about i think my brain breaking things down into small chunks i could picture just getting to Twin Waters, just getting to Maruchidor. And once I was there, I was like, okay, now I've just got to go back. 
and because you've seen landmarks in your head, you sort of go, okay, well, yep, that hill is uh, 16Ks. Oh, I've got this town, right, I've got this far to go. Um, the coach I was using also got me to do a, a walk-run strategy. So I'd only run for nine minutes, then I'd walk for a minute. And I just had that pre-programmed into my watch. So again, it wasn't something I had to think, it was something I had to do. And that, I think that was fantastic because I really, truly didn't lose much time between the first marathon and the second one, so, yeah. Massive achievement. Last 400 metres coming across Noosa Beach. Um, I hate sand running, but God, that felt awesome. (laughs) I bet. Massive achievement, mate. Now, you're pretty active in the Newcastle Triathlon Club as well. Um, now, they have some club races and things yeah, like that. Yeah. If someone was to want to have a go at a triathlon, um, how would you suggest they, they get involved with that? Good time, man. Our next club race is actually next weekend, so Sunday. What's that, the 19th, I think, is next Sunday? I think so, yeah. Yep. Um, so we do them on the third Sunday of every month. Um, if they want to get online, the easiest place to go on is onto the Newcastle Tri Club, either on their Facebook page or our website. You enter through the website, um, and you'll actually see the links there. Let's pretend you want to get involved, but you don't even have a triathlon bike or a road bike, and you're worried about that. We've actually got four or five bikes that are available for hire. Now, when I say hire, you don't even have to pay for them. You just have to register for that you want to pick up a bike. And we've got them in stock. They're stored at various club guys' houses. But with their only 12 months old, they're really good bikes. So we certainly welcome anyone with as limited experience as possible to come down and have a try. This month, so our three races, the short, short distance and intermediate, that's a pool-based swim. The short ones, particularly for the kids, it's only about a 150 metre swim. They ride through the park for about eight k's and then they have about a one um, a k run, give or take. The intermediate, it's about a 300 metre swim, 350 metre swim around the pool again. Uh, they have a 12 k road ride and then it's a three k run through the park on the Stockton foreshore there. And then the long course, it's usually a 500 meter swim, 20K bike, 5K run. In January, we step it up a little bit. So the swim becomes about 900 meters. The ride is 28K and then the run is 10. Now, again, that's running around the Stockton foreshore. So up along the break wall, down through the park. Um, and it's still just the same price as a club race, so it's only 10 bucks, and you get to do one of the best race courses going around, I think, all of Newcastle, if not all of, all of New South Wales. Great way to get involved, and there's plenty of options there to um, choose from. Um, now, where can we find you guys on the internet, Transitions Cairo, on Facebook? Yeah, yeah, so... We're probably not as active on Facebook and Instagram as we should be, but... And again, we've got other things to do as well. So yeah, but we're certainly there. Transitions Chiropractic at Facebook and Transitions Chiro on Instagram uh, is probably the easiest way to find us. Um, Transitionschiropractic.com, you'll find a lot of useful info there. We've done a fair bit of work trying to pick some fairly useful people's brains, like yourselves, to do some educational videos that we try and post, post up there, whether or not it's movement advice, what to do if you can't necessarily get into someone like myself. 
Um, so we've tried to do a lot of that on our website, but then also through social media as well. Yeah, lots of different articles and also, uh, as you said, videos on stretching and things like that, yeah. foam rolling. There's there's plenty there to to uh, have a look at. Uh, what's next for you guys in 2020? Look, big focus this year is family. We've got some transitions of our own. My oldest dude, he's starting school in a couple of weeks' time, so that's, you know, I have no idea what that's going to bring. I can pretend, but I truly don't know. Um we're hopefully continuing to grow Transitions Cairo. We've done a really nice job of that over the past 12 months in particular. Um, fingers crossed we'll be looking for our first associate towards the end of this year, so that's a matter of finding the right person. Um, will there be an adventure for myself again? Yeah, probably. Um, I'm not gonna speak too badly about what it is just, just yet, but there's definitely a few things in the pipeline. Um, again, it's... I love adventure, that part of me is not going to go away, but it's fitting it in between the, you know, the reality of life, business and family. And I think that's kind of what makes it special to seeing what you're still capable of. Absolutely. Living life without limits, mate. Thanks for your time. Very much. Thanks, Joe. Cheers, mate.